Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lukather of Toto. Hi, y'all. This is Charlie Daniels, and you're listening to Jimmy Warren. Hey, everybody. Jimmy Warren here. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in to Guitar Talk this Wednesday. You know, uh, before we get into this this week's episode and my guest today, you know, we have to stop and pay tribute and homage to one of the most innovative people in the guitar world, and that's Eddie Van Halen. You know, we lost uh, one of the greatest of all times this week. And, you know, as somebody that's connected to the guitar world, I've seen an outpouring of respect and uh, tribute and love for uh, for Eddie. You know, I've talked to some guys, you know, that are really kind of devastated because if it wasn't for Eddie, well, they might not be playing guitar today. You know, and if it wasn't for Eddie, they might not play the guitar the way they do today. And so uh, there's just been a huge outpouring in that sense. And so... You know, I think everybody's heart's a little broken. You know, you went too soon. I was just telling somebody, you know, it was 1979, April, I do believe it, 79. Van Halen came to Chicago for their first time on their own. And um, I remember getting tickets. It was at the Aragon Ballroom, which was always general admission. And I can recall standing outside for hours waiting to get in because, you know, <laughs> Van Halen was it, man. That was that was the thing at the time. You know, I, I bought their first album at a record store. I had this habit as a kid. I went to the record store. It was called Chicago Records. I went there every Friday after I got paid from my job. I was a dishwasher, and I worked at a truck stop fueling semis and washing windshields. And every Friday I would go there and I would buy a new album. And every now and then I would buy a new album from a band that I wasn't familiar with. And typically it was the album cover that would uh, capture my attention. You know, some of the ones that I recall were like uh, Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast, you know, or their first album. You know, when I first saw them, it was the first album. One number of the beasts was the first album. I remember when I saw Eddie on there, it just drove me crazy. I had to have it. I had no idea who they were in that. And that's the same way it was for Van Halen. You know, Van Halen 1 had the four squares, had each guy on it. You know, when you saw him, you were like, dang, this has got to be good. <laughs> and so I remember bringing it home. I had a Morant system. I put it on the turntable, and I let it go, and I was hooked. So I stood in line outside the Aragon Ballroom for hours waiting to get in to see Van Halen. I remember pushing my way through, being about, you know, second row. I was on the right side of the stage, so it was right where Eddie would typically was standing. And, you know, how would I know that I was going to be witnessing, you know, one of the greatest guitar shows ever you know with one of the greatest guitar players that would ever be you know things like that you know only happen you know once or or so in a lifetime you know and i would be fortunate enough to go on to see van halen a few more times over their first few albums you know because i was a huge fan of van halen during the david lee roth days when they went to sammy hager i was one of those guys that i stopped listening to him for a while you know i was always a huge sammy hagar fan too but uh but i eventually you know came around of course you know because they were a great band you couldn't help it so uh but you know what we're gonna miss eddie a lot i mean he's somebody that was uh, a part of you know, my musical past, my my life as in music, you know, uh, either as somebody that listens to it or somebody that plays it. And, uh, you know, he's somebody that's definitely going to be missed. And so we want to send our, our prayers and our love to his family and to all the members of uh, his band that are, are hurting as a result of that loss. And so, uh, you know, all we can say is rest in peace.
Eddie Van Halen. Wow. Uh, makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah, I feel old. But you know what? Life goes on. He 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 influenced so many people. It doesn't matter what genre you, you were from or what kind of player you were. He probably influenced you in some way. And so, uh, you know what? As we move on through the course of uh, the rest of this month, you know, the, the next few weeks anyway, next three weeks, I'm going to focus on some blues players, uh, which we already had slated to be on the show uh, before Eddie's passing. But I can tell you, coming up in uh, November and December, we got some young rock bands uh, that we're going to have, uh, like Justin Young, the guitarist from uh, South of Eden, uh, Dylan uh, Palmero from Magnolia Bay. These are, uh, you know, O'Reilly and Logan from the Georgia Thunderbolts. These are some young, up-and-coming rock, you know, bands like the kind of Greta Van Fleet kind of thing. Um, they're really cool, and a lot of those guys, as I talk to them, you know, Eddie was was their was their guy, you know, was one of the guys. So uh, so we'll pay homage to him as we continue on the rest of this year. Now today, you know what? We're going to step back into time a little bit and do some real blues. Uh, my guest today is Sean Pittman. Now Sean. Man, he's he's made the scene all, all over the country and around the world. Uh, he's been living in Texas, and now he's in Oklahoma. Uh, for those of you that are really familiar with uh, the blues in that, you know who Sean Pittman is. He's a great player. He's kind of a purist, you know. He's one of those guys, amp and a guitar, and that's really it. And his, his, uh, his music is... It's blues, man. It's blues. It's not blues rock. It's blues. And uh, he's one of those guys that's keeping, you know, in my opinion, you know, the genre moving forward, which is, def you know, definitely needed in that. Sean's a great player. Uh, he was exceptional to talk to. And I think you're going to get a real kick out of out of him, you know. And if you want to, while you're listening to it, go to his website, seanpittman.com. And check him out. He's got music, of course. You can get on iTunes and Spotify and, you know, all the different places and that. You know, this is somebody that you need to know in that. But, uh, you know, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sean Pittman because um, he's a good player. He really is. And so here it is. Here's Sean Pittman. Hello. Is this Sean? Yeah. Hey, Sean. Jimmy Warren. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know what? I dialed the wrong number. I thought that may have been the case, but uh, I didn't want to say. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah I, I left a message for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> you live in Kankakee? I do. Well, I live in Bur Bourbon A, same area, basically. Man, I love that area. I got good uh, good friends uh, in Kankakee. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've played there actually a few times, about three, I think. And, uh, yeah, a buddy that had this oil company he kind of made on his own was royal purple but then he went out on his own and but uh, he's the first guy i ever met from kankakee but i like it up there man i'll be that you know it's really unusual i mean there's a few people there's a um there's a guy here in town uh he, he goes by the name shuffle shoes he hosts a radio show uh for the community college and it's a blues show and so, you know, he's hosted people in the past. They've had, you know, like Mark, Mike Morgan and uh -huh. there's been, you know, there's been a variety of people that have come through. Aren't you friends know. of the blues, uh, yeah. from there, in that, that area? That's, that's him. That's Darcy oh, okay, yeah. Shuffle Shoes. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that show a couple of times. Oh, well then there you go. That's probably, probably it. I don't know if they still do it or not. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I'm not sure. I think I did one at like the Moose. Yeah. Uh, Moose Lodge or something. Yeah, I think they did it there, and they did it at the uh, the boat the boat club. Yeah, 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 for the Kinky Boat Club or whatever it is. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, man. 
Yeah. Well, you know what? It's kind of cool, you know, because guys would pass through this area, you know, and it's it's those blue societies that, you know, sometimes help, you know, help help you get to the next gig. Yes, there is. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, hey, let's 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 step back. You know, one of the things, the purpose of this podcast really is to talk more about you as a player and in your gear and, you know, your influences and all that kind of stuff, because, you know, we want to inspire people to play or or to pick up the instrument for the first time or dive in a little bit more. And uh, so it's always nice to hear, you know, the, the history and those kinds of things. So if you don't mind, let's let's drop back. And let's talk about you know uh, Sean as as a young as a young boy. In that, uh, when was it that you first got interested in playing a guitar? Because I thought I read you picked up the was it the drums first? Yeah, well, it was kind of I started kind of playing music like music that I wanted to play around the same time. So it was a little bit of drums and a little bit of guitar. The first thing that I learned though was the piano. Uh, my mom made me take piano lessons, but <laughs> I didn't want to play. I wasn't interested. I was interested more in sports and stuff. But then once I got to be, when I was a teenager, a friend of mine played guitar and my brother, uh, had a drum set and he was, you know, into music and stuff. And I, um, my friend came over with that guitar and started playing Chuck Berry kind of thing. And I was, like my brother had gone to college by, by then and so i got on the drums and started playing but i just was fixated on the guitar that's what i wanted to do so he showed me some stuff and then i just went where i could to find you know uh anybody that showed me anything but really the first person i ever heard play was my grandmother oddly enough uh when I was about five years old, she, she would play boogie woogie piano and she was great, you know, and I just remember being about as tall as the keys of the piano and watching her. And so I kind of got that, uh, that sort of southern, uh, I don't know, blues and kind of, uh, rhythm and blues sort of ingrained at an early age. And then when I discovered to play, playing music on my own, I kind of already had a little bit of that in there. So. Yeah. So, so was, was, was most of the people in your family, were they musical? Cause I, you just said your brother and your grandmother. What about your parents? Not really. My, my mom, she was, she, she could sing real well, but she was more of a opera type singer yeah. and she played piano. Uh, and, uh, but my grandmother was probably the, the, the most, uh, real musician. I mean, in, in the family, she was pretty, a good musician, good piano player, and great singer. My dad, he was a wrestler, <laughs> so he, he wasn't musically inclined. Man, he, he, it's taken him a while to, you know, he just what I don't know how I, how I really got into it. But uh, my brother, <laughs> he played drums, but uh, and he did listen to the famous Thunderbirds and uh, Steve Ray Vaughan when you know, and I, I remember hearing him play those those bands uh when i was about nine or ten and so you know um now you said your dad was you said your dad was a wrestler i gotta ask was was he like a professional wrestler or (laughs) no he was a uh he was a collegiate wrestler oh okay uh he was uh he was a uh from oklahoma and uh he went he went to the to brigham young university and uh, he wasn't a Mormon, but he uh, he was after he went out there. <laughs> but uh, he was, uh, you know, he was a real good wrestler. So, but you know, and I've learned that wrestlers they're pretty unique people. Like you got to be really driven, and, uh, and not a, and it's not a real popular sport. And the older I've gotten, the more I realize blues players, blues guitar players are. You know, they got some similarities to some to a wrestler in a way. You know, you kind of you're on your own a lot, and it's not the most popular thing, but you got to be dedicated. Wow, that's that's a good uh, correlation right there. Putting those <laughs> two together, I'd never heard that before. That's kind of <laughs> so. Uh, so when you were young, and that, what would you say? Who would you say was your main influences? You know, because I, you said your brother was listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan and the Thunderbirds. Was it blues back then, or was it a little bit of everything? Was it rock? Well, I would 
I would listen to the radio, and I was just into all kinds of music. My mom had a huge record collection of 45s, and uh, and I listened to everything she had, and it was everything from chubby checker to, it was mainly a lot of 50s and 60s kind of pop music, but I remember we, we liked uh, listening to Chubby Checker and the Twist a lot. My brother would, would pretend to play drums, not pretend to play air guitar. And uh, my grandparents were a little more on the country side, um, and, but they listened to Chuck Berry. My dad, I will say, he listened to Buddy Holly a lot. I remember that was one of the first records I heard. He, uh, Buddy Holly Lives, I think it was from the movie or something, the soundtrack, but it was still his songs. And, uh, so I got into Buddy Holly early and, uh, and, and, uh, so Buddy Holly and Chuck Berry and a little bit of country and, uh, and, you know, some stuff that's on the radio. But when I started to play, um, I, uh, I had to do, I had to do blues. I just, I don't know what it was, why it was, but when, once I started playing guitar, um, uh, and I heard, uh, I heard like Muddy Waters and Lightning Hopkins and uh, John Lee Hooker, a friend of mine, brought over some of those records one time. And when I heard that, I said, "Whoa, that's that's what I want to do right there." And 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 from then on, I really never didn't really ever try to learn a whole lot of pop music after that. So after I was about fourteen or so, fifteen, it was blues, man. So, so I'm taking you got a guitar then. What kind of guitar were you playing in the in the beginning? Well, the guy that uh, came over that that uh, his name was John. He brought over his guitar and I was playing drums. He let me borrow his until his mom got mad at him and, and told him <laughs> to take it back. So I went and bought a a beat up uh, acoustic guitar at a flea market, and that was what I had for a while. And um, I think I had a piece of crap Ibanez or something that I bought. I worked at a laundromat and bought bought an Ibanez electric guitar. And I didn't. I don't tell many people that, but uh, it wasn't long. Uh, I got a Stratocaster, reissued '62 Stratocaster for for Christmas when I was about uh, sixteen or seventeen, mm-hmm. and and that was that was when I kind of stayed with Fender after that. That was it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, have, so have you pretty much been a Fender guy your whole career, the whole time? Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. I was a Gibson. I, I, I did play a Gibson, uh, Les Paul, a little bit um, back when I was in my early twenties. But uh, uh, it was my girlfriend bought me that guitar, and when we broke up, she took it with her. <laughs> but so I didn't get to use that for very long. But I liked it. It's, uh, so I have used K, uh, K guitars. I still do for slide. I have a K. Um, and, but yeah, pretty much mainly Fender, uh, Strats, some Tellies. Um, yeah, I, I used to have a Harmony Rocket, but, uh, don't have it anymore. But pretty much Strats for gigs. So, so what was it about the Strat? Is it just the way the guitar feels? Is it, uh, you know, the, the tone of it. I mean, what is it about a Strat that, you know, just kind of scratches that itch? Uh, I think it's the tone. I think it kind of, uh, it's, it was real versatile, you know. You could you could play a lot of different styles on it. Uh, you could get super nice and clean with it. And, you know, if you muddied it up, you could still uh, have a good bite to it. And um, it just seemed like all my favorite guitar players uh, were using those, especially down in Texas. And so it was just kind of natural that, I, that that's you know where I started to figure out how to get my sound with was was with the Strat and like a super reverb type of sound. Yeah. And Anson Funderburg, uh, you know Jimmy Vaughn, Stevie, of course. Uh, and then uh, you know when I went down to Texas when I was I guess I was 17 or 18. Um, I was a big Stevie fan, you know, but once I got down there, they're like saying, man, you don't want to sound like that. You want to sound like yourself. So, uh, learn all these guys. And so, got in Hash Brown, uh, Brian Callaway, 
and you know, gave me a lot of uh, tutoring and uh, Mike Morgan as well. Uh, gave me a lot of records and tapes and stuff. Of all the other guys I needed to listen to. Yeah. yeah. So I made I made a concentrated effort to not sound like him. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yeah. There, I mean, there's people that try. You right. know what I mean? I mean, you might get some aspects of that that tone, but you can't replace mm. those hands. No, no. And, and what what I still am impacted by with Stevie, now that I'm on the topic of it, is just his attack and his passion for it. Yeah. And and uh, you know he just went for it, man. And so, um, you know, I still admire that for sure. Yeah, I I, I admire that that passion for for playing and for the instrument. You know, and his his passion kind of went full circle, though. I mean, it encompassed you know, the guitar itself. Cause some people are really, really into the guitar. And then there's some people that are really, really into blues. You know what I mean? But he was kind of like into all of it and all of it had that over the top, you know, yeah. uh, attention yeah. to it. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like everything was at the maximum level for him. It seemed like, yeah, yeah, for sure. that's kind of cool. And so you said uh, super reverb, is that what you were playing? Is that what you play now? Um, right now, the last 20 years or so, I've had a, a Vibro King, a Fender Vibro King. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a reissue. Um, it's, it's got the three tens. I think it's, uh, I think it's 60 watts. Yeah. Um, and then I also got hip to Magnetone. Um, so I've used Magnetones quite a bit as well. Um, but there was a time, for about ten years or so, where all I used was super reverbs, yeah. And I always love a super reverb. And I, I would, uh, but just kind of gone up in price. I haven't really been able to buy one, but I'd like to get another one again. Uh, on the last record I did, I used a, a super and a basement. Also used basements too throughout the years. I think I've had a twin here and there, but twins are always so loud. Yeah. Uh, I think the only way I could get a sound out of it was either turn it away from the stage, turn it backwards, or uh, take a couple of tubes out. It's just too much power. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're great amps. You know, it's funny when I I talk to a lot of guitar players, and uh, and the Fender always seems to be the go-to. You know, all these people that are traveling all over the country and they're using mm-hmm. backline. You know, some people say, well, I prefer to use you know, such and such an amp, but when I'm touring, you know, I use a Fender because I know that I can always get a good one for backline, you know. Yeah. Um, I can always, you can't go wrong. I can navigate those, I can navigate those pretty good. Uh, I know how to get a sound out of a Fender. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's one thing you can say about it. If, uh, if you're a guy that plugs and I'm going to guess that you're a guy that goes guitar to amp, you don't have a whole bunch of you know, you're not a big effects guy. I'm, I'm guessing. You're exactly right. Right, right. You just go there, right to the app, and then so you you pick the the perfect amp then. Yeah, you can get lots of different sounds. There's ways to get a distorted sound yeah. if you know how to, uh, you know, without using a distortion pedal. If you if you know how to work your volume knobs and your tone knobs, and then you know with your fingers and stuff, you can. You can get different kinds of sounds. I sort of made it my, uh, I kind of take pride in that, turning any amp, being able to get, go from a clean sound to a dirtier sound with just turning the knobs and not pressing a button on a pedal. Yeah. But I'm not against it. I mean, there's been times where I've used, you know, the most, the most I've ever used, I think, was, I think I've had a uh, maybe like an overdrive pedal or something, maybe a tube screamer and maybe a wah pedal, and and that was about as far as I ever really went. I haven't done that in a while. Yeah. I did use a pedal a little bit on this uh, this last record, um, just to give it a little bit of extra oomph. But uh, um, yeah, so I'm pretty much a guitar guitar to the amp. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you be, you might be surprised, you know, how many people actually do that. And some people you would never think it. Like, for instance, now I, I know this isn't blues, but uh, guitar player for Whitesnake, Joel Hookstra, he, he uses a Friedman amp, and he doesn't use any pedals. 
at all. Oh, that's cool. That's pretty unusual for a rock guy. It is. You know, the only thing that he has is he has uh, he has some some reverb and a bit of delay going through the uh, effects loop. You know what yeah. I mean through a through a fractal through a rack system in that. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't no floor pedals, no nothing crazy in that. It's pretty much because he's playing at such high gain, of course. Yeah, you know that everything is is really through the amps, and I was mm-hmm. I was kind of shocked at that, you know. That's what I like about that old blues stuff is those guys were cranking those amps up and getting cool sounds. Yeah, and it's like, man, I would I just I don't like it if I sound like if I use too much stuff on it, it just doesn't sound. It just loses something. I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, blues is. I don't know, you know, it's one thing I could say about your sound is that you have, in my opinion, a really authentic, um, oh, what's the word I want to use? Like a really authentic type ambient sound that is really distinct to old blues. You know what I mean? It, it really does. If I listen to your, like your new album, which is uh, Make It, when I listen to Make It Rain, I, I, it it really does sound like some of the older recordings of some of the you know, you know. Cool. Yeah, it's it's really That's what authentic. I'm going for. I I like that old stuff, man. I want to <laughs> I want to perpetuate it, keep it going, you know, in a modern kind of way, like to where you get the best of both worlds, and it's kind of a fine line. But uh, that's really my goals because I I you know my purpose in music, I think, is to keep some of that stuff alive so I'm, i like i like being able to do that yeah well there's there's not a doesn't seem like you know there might be but there doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of people that do that you know not really yeah not not really yeah and you know in most of the old time blues people are you know have pretty much come and gone you know there's not too yeah. many authentic people left I know, I know, and I'm, I'm, I'm just now kind of getting to where I finally can sound how I want to, yeah. and be comfortable with it. Same with like vocals too, and picking songs that fit me and things like that. It's taken me. Yeah. I mean, I'm 45 now, so like to me, everything <laughs> from when I was early on was just trying to get to to where I'm at now. So I sort of feel like just beginning now to really be able to to get across the you know the sounds that i want to and feel good about yeah it it, sometimes it takes people a while in order to find their their niche you know their their spot sweet spot Mm -hmm. yeah you know but you've put out a lot of records yeah that's Mm -hmm. one thing i've done i've been able to do even if i wasn't doing much in my career at the time i always tried to make records i always liked it yeah now, how, how many? How many exactly have you put out? Well, I've done a lot of self releases and some European releases, and if you, I guess if you include a, a compilation, I guess I guess this is thirteen yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I know I, that. I know I'm that. Going in the can, but never put it out. Yeah, boy, I, I've done nine, and I did an EP. I started recording it last fall with uh, Walter Trout's band, and cool. and uh, I never really I released a couple of singles independently, you know, because of the whole you know COVID thing and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And that, so I know how hard that is, you know, to try oh, to make man. your name. It is hard, and yeah. I mean the one thing that I've been able to accomplish is whenever people do hear hear my records, you know they. I can tell that, you know, I put some time into it, and, and I always have gotten good reviews. My touring, I haven't toured a whole lot, and I've had a lot of starts and stops along the way, and, and I've kind of just coming back into uh, in, into it. I'm about two and a half years into this last go-around after taking about three or four years off, and uh sure enough, as soon as I start getting ready to tour, this COVID thing happens, and it's like, dang it, I'm just ready to get out there again. <laughs> and it's hard to come back. Sure is, it, man. It's hard. <laughs> you know, one 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 thing I can say is, as 
you know, I cut my teeth in, in Chicago because, you know, I live outside of Chicago playing with, you know, guys like Lefty Diz and Sun Seals and, you know, all, all those kinds of guys back in the day. And then I, too, did exactly what you did. I, I left. You know, and uh, and when I came back to the city, it's like nobody knew who. You, I mean, people knew you, yep. but you were you were no longer where you were before. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You it, lose momentum. You get it. Yeah, and then I I was like you once again. I I quit playing altogether in 2012. My last show, I did a, a double billing with Billy Branch in California. It was my last show. And then I stopped playing, and then when I turned around and was going to come back, it was like, you're just starting all over. And it's harder now. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And I, I don't I don't have the uh, – I used to have the advantage of being a youngster, yeah. you know. Uh, but at the same time, even though coming back is harder, um, I always seem to, like, be able to catch up if I stick with it. And the people that remembered me from before – uh, will always, always be there. But the problem, the hard thing about music is it's so, uh, in flux with, with talent buyers and clubs and things that, yeah. you know, five years is a long time. And if, they, if nobody's seen your name in a few years and they're fairly new to the scene, guess what? You're just beginner to them. Yep. So that's tough. Yeah. It's, it's got to swallow your, I've had to swallow my pride sometimes and, you know, just, um, hey, don't you, don't you know, don't you, know, you try to get a gig, it's like, uh, they're like, do you play covers or originals? I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and, and not only that, but, you know, it seems like, you know, from a financial aspect, it, it, it seems to me that it, it can actually be worse now than it was 20 years ago. You know, yeah. I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. When you play blues, you're really just playing to break even, just to pay for being able to do it um, for the most part. And it seemed like when I would kind of get out of it, is when I just fly around out of money and couldn't tour. Like you try to tour and be on the road, but you got to be able to pay people. Yeah. And, and if you can't pay people, you can't put on a good show. And it's just like I get to the point where I just – Boy, you know, I, I can't deal with this. And so, but then, you know, I figured it out, figure out a little bit, of, uh, figure out some things, be smarter about things. And every time I come back, I always come back a little smarter and I do it a little bit better than what I did last time. Yeah. Yeah. You oh. know, the one thing that, that has made it, you know, uh, a little bit better over the years is the access to things that we're, you know, that you couldn't really have before. What I mean by that is like, like through social media, for instance, now you have uh -huh. direct access to, to a lot of people right. before, you know, you didn't necessarily have that unless you were, you know, um, on the radio all the time or touring all the time or something right. like yeah. that. Now you have the well, ability to reach, you know, a hundred thousand people just by doing something as silly as this podcast. <laughs> or, or, you know, email is so much yeah. nicer. You know, back in the day, you had to call everybody, get them on the phone, then make sure they're going to be there and drop off a promo kit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or mail one. Yeah. I was just telling somebody a while back that I can remember the day of going around with a cassette player in my <laughs> yeah. car with my my music, you know, on a cassette and going from venue to venue and letting people listen to it, you know, trying yeah. to book right there on the spot. <laughs> I've never had the courage to bring the cassette player. <laughs> people always told me to, though. Yeah, you got to bring that cassette player. Maybe if you do that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, it's a lot easier now. You can send a link to your albums. You got your Facebook yeah. page. You got your Twitter and Instagram and Right. It all helps. It makes it a little bit easier. And you can control your career a little bit more, you know, or actually right. a lot more, I should say, you know, things that you used to have to have or that it was nice to have, you know, like a good label and things of that. You don't really need any of that anymore, you know. Not not so much, but yeah. it still helps uh, for 
just kind of name recognition if you're with a good label that's got some yeah you know some clout to it uh, uh but yeah you're right you don't have to have them right yeah well you know prince didn't have a label at the end so for a number of years that's true <laughs> but he was prince so yeah <laughs> he didn't really need one yeah that's funny yeah so uh you know, were you one of these guys growing up? Did you always have a guitar in your hand? Were you always playing? Pretty much. Once yeah. I when I decided that's what I was going to do. Well, first of all, I didn't really decide it. I just liked it so much. I would find myself in my room and after school or whatever, and it was light when I started playing. And now it's like ten o'clock at night, and I didn't realize where the time went. So that for a few years of that really and um and uh for yeah when i was younger i don't i'm not quite the same now although i try to make sure i make even if i don't have gigs make myself play and and learn still uh, but it's a little different now um but yeah man i just i didn't think there's any other way to to really do it other than just put the time in yeah. So, did you ever take any formal lessons? Are you formally trained in any way, or you're 100 percent self-taught? Uh, I never took any guitar lessons, uh, but I was fortunate enough to be around some people that would kind of guide me. Like, yeah. you know, somebody that played blues, and they would show me something, and then I'd go and learn it and then come back to him and ask for something else. So I kind of got lessons that way, but never like, uh, but they were blues, you know, they were, they were blues people. They were, right. you know, it was very specialized. Um, so, but those were the only, I think I did have two lessons actually when I was, when I moved to Dallas, I had a lesson from Mike Morgan and I had a lesson from Robin Seiler. Okay. All right. So, yeah, Rob, huh? Robin is kind of an un, unheralded guy, but he's a, a fellow worth looking up. To. He was uh, he was great, man. He he unfortunately uh, committed. To, uh, he passed away uh, several years ago, but uh, he played a lot with Doyle Bramhall Senior. Oh, okay. And he was, uh, I think, he was on that record, "The Bird Nest on the Ground," and. Uh, Anyway, but he showed me some cool Robert King licks and Jimmy Reed licks. And I had hash brown. I'm like, all those Dallas guys, man. Yeah. I could go any night of the week and watch Mike Morgan uh, or Tutu Jones or Jim Suler or, uh, gosh, how many guys were there? Holland K. Smith, Pat Boyack. I mean, lots of players. Yeah. Now, you lived in the Austin area, too, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Yep. When I was in Dallas, I stayed there for seven years. Then when I was ready to move out of Dallas, I just couldn't make myself move anywhere outside of Texas if I hadn't lived in Austin yet. So yeah. I decided I was going to go down there and just say that, okay, I've been, I'm down here and, you know, before I leave Texas, I've got to, got to live in Austin for a little bit. And I just ended up staying <laughs> for 14 years. Yeah, that's, well, well, and the music scene there's incredible. We almost moved there once, me and my wife did. Mm, yeah, we came real close. Great players down there, Derek yeah. O'Brien and, and uh, Red Bullcart and uh, Mike Keller, Johnny Muller, and so many good guitar players. Jimmy Vaughn, of course, uh, you know, to learn from. Yeah. Now you've uh, had the the pleasure of, you know, getting to know a lot of those kinds of guys. You know, I think if I'm correct, if I read correctly. Uh, you even had, uh, did you have Double Trouble back you on one of your albums? I did, yeah. yeah. On my third one, my, it was my first self-release. Uh, I called it New King in Town at first, but then uh, I just felt like that was, I guess it showed I was a little bit wasteful, but uh, I uh, decided to change the title to it i had this picture where there's this halo looking thing around me and i said well let's just call it full circle i don't know why i called it that but i was too ashamed to call it new king in town and a little, little insight into the insecure mind of a youngster then but i did have double trouble on that record and a lot of people liked the record johnny moeller was on that record jason Muller was preston hubbard from the famous thunderbirds was on there 
Uh, Riley Osborne played keyboard. I think he plays anyone ship now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and that was a lot of fun, man. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Now, how old were you when that, about that time? I was 24, I believe. Yeah, I see, wow. I almost couldn't play. The day <laughs> came in, I, we were doing a sound check, and I was so freaking nervous. I, my hands were shaking. I hardly could play, man, just to be in, in their presence. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Now, was, was, that wasn't the album, um, oh my God, uh, Jim Gaines produced, was it? Yes. Was well, it? Now, he was, did he the, too, Mike. was he the one that, that pulled all those people together for you? No, actually, um, he had uh, produced my second album on, on Cannonball called Something's Gotta Give. And I was friends with Susan Tedeschi, and she started playing with Double Trouble and I was sat in with them, with her, and got to know them actually through her uh-huh. and uh, and her manager, uh, Mickey Mulhill at the time, um, was also managing Double Trouble, and so I just I kind of crossed paths a lot with with them, and I ended up uh, just you know getting uh, uh, Mickey to ask Double Trouble if they'd do it, and they did. And they kind of knew me, you know, but uh, I hadn't really. You know, spent a ton of time with them, but yeah, yeah. But it, it was good to reunite them. They all knew Jim and everything, so that's really you know. cool. It was really cool because they did. Uh, Jim Gaines did In Step with them, yeah, yeah. which is kind of historic and stuff. <laughs> right, cool. right. Well, Jim Gaines did a lot of, and he did a lot of great albums. He did worked wow. with a lot of great people. Yeah, he you know? he was really. Really good, good guy, good, nice person. Um, just one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He always believed in me, too. I, I just kind of made it a little difficult on myself, you know, early on. <laughs> <laughs> I met I met Jim in Memphis. We were playing at BB King's, and, uh, and he was there. And it was the only time I ever met him in that, but he seemed like a really nice guy. It was it was. You know, it was cool to meet him, you know, because... Yeah, man. He's yeah. way cool. Yeah. So, the new album. Why don't you tell me about the new album, Make It Rain? That's actually Make It Right. 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 Excuse me. I'm sorry. Make It Right. But, hey, man, I like to make it rain, too. <laughs> Maybe Make It Right will make it rain for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you, you, I guess... It's kind of spur of the moment. It's kind of a spontaneous thing. I had a tour in Europe, I see a mini tour. Um, just like I said, a, you know, sort of rebuilding, uh, from, from a, you know, a layoff. And, uh, and a friend of mine over there in Germany, Aircon Osdemir, who is a great bass player. And, uh, he's also been booking bands from Texas blues bands for you know about 30 years and he played with memo gonzalez who i knew from dallas and so um we've kind of been in contact and we became friends and he started having me come over and and, uh, his son had grown up watching all these texas blues guys so now his son's you know in his 20s a great drummer he was we did a tour together and uh, we had three days off in between Spain and Den and uh where was it? Denmark. So we went to we went to Denmark and we had three days and he said he knew knew this real cool studio called Heyman Studios. This twenty one year old owner and engineer, a brilliant guy named uh Christian Heyman uh Zinkernackel. I can't say his last name exactly right. But he was brilliant to work with. So I didn't really have a whole lot of songs that I had planned. So mm-hmm. I kind of finished up some ideas that I did on the spot. We went in and, and, and played live, um, a couple of overdubs here and there, but pretty much live performances, vocals and everything. And, and we ended up coming, getting a really great sound and lively sound. Uh, and a lot of it's credited to their musicianship and Christian sound and, and it just, worked and it's kind of turned out to be one of the better records i've ever done yeah 
Well, like like I said, it's it's got a really authentic sound to it, which which really takes for me it takes me back. You know, it it, it reminds me of of the old days in blues. And yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, man, it captured. Sometimes there's something to be said for not putting too much thought into it. You, know? <laughs> you just go in and do what you do, and uh, and sometimes just come out with something pretty cool. So I was real fortunate. Uh, I'm just real grateful I had that opportunity. We were able to do that, and it's turned out to be real good for me. You know, it's really my first record back on my own uh, since, gosh, a few years at least. Um, I did one couple of years ago with Jason Moeller, he sang half of it and I sang half of it. We put it out on a, a German label, but didn't really uh, get a lot of recognition from it. Um, but that was kind of the first record I did uh, in this comeback. And then after that, I did just this, this make it right one. And uh, so that's kind of my introduction back into the, trying to get back into the race. Yeah. And so what's the, uh, plan going forward i know right now you know of course with covid everything's on a lockdown but once it comes off lockdown you know it's going to be like like the beginning of a horse race the gates are going to go up and everybody's uh, going to come shooting out as fast as they can it's going to fortunately happen. this record's getting real good uh uh reviews and and i've got a good uh publicist doug deutsch who's you know, got me in touch with you and, and, uh, and some other things. And so my profiles were, you know, risen a little bit. So I will be able to at least resume touring again. And, you know, in the United States, which is what I haven't done a whole lot of the past few years, I've been to Europe mostly, yeah. but uh, resuming, you know, continuing to build, um, in the United States, um, touring here. So I want to do that. And then whenever we can go back to Europe again, I'll, I'll have quite a few things lined up there. And, um, and then just go in the same studio with the same guys and do, do the same thing again with, uh, you know, hopefully I got a few more songs in the, in my mind for it. And so next time we can, you know, uh, we'll make another record and just keep making them. Yeah. So do you uh, do you have a studio yourself? I mean, do you record yourself at at your house or or anything? I have, you know, like a lot of people do. Yeah, I I do demos yeah. at my house, um, and I can play a little bit of drums and a little bit of bass, just enough to like put the song idea down to where it's documented. And I can give it to. Uh, the guys, I'm like, well, here, I came up with this, and then, you know, we can make changes to it, but if I don't do that, I'll forget it. So I, um, yeah, I, out in my garage here, I have a drum set and a recording machine, like a little 24-track recorder, and yeah. and um, I record all the instruments on there, and then I'll dump it into the computer, and then I can send it to Dropbox or something, and and I kind of, that's how I catalog my, uh, my ideas, my demos. And, yeah. uh, about 10 years ago, when I was first starting to do that, I was sending these, some of these demos to Delta Groove, uh, that label in California. Right. And they ended up liking it. And I thought we were going to go in the studio, but they said, no, keep doing these. We'll put a record out with that. And that was, uh, that was, I think that was my last real release. I mean, that got recognition was the the Edge of the World Delta Groove release where right. I ended up playing all the instruments on it only because they said it sounded pretty good. And I was like, are you kidding me? I can't make a record. I can't make a record playing drums. Yeah. But I did, barely. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that's that's what's going on. It's like there's so many people just hunkered down. And a lot of people that I talk to, that's all they're doing is just recording or Recording mm -hmm. your ideas or, you know, file sharing with people, you know, collaborating and stuff like that. Yeah, that was when I had to learn how to figure out where I saved something on the computer. <laughs> I literally would be talking to them and, and I was like, okay, I got something for you. And I have them on the phone for 15 minutes before I could find where I saved it. And I realized that I had to learn, yeah. had to learn how this uh, file uh, system is and whatever, Windows. <laughs> So, uh, so you're you're in the Tulsa area, correct? 
Yeah, I'm in Broken Arrow. It's about uh, literally about ten minutes outside of Tulsa. Yeah, what's the music scene like there? I mean, not right at the moment, pre pre COVID. <laughs> um, real good if you're a uh, if you're a singer songwriter, uh, more in the country vein. I got it. It's, it's a real good place for for that. Uh, I think that they take pride in uh, in songwriting here, and so there's lots of open mics with you know, acoustic stuff, but there's not a whole lot of blues and it's not because they don't like it. I think it's just, they haven't really, I don't know. I, I've been exposed to a lot of it and, and I, I don't think they've really seen a whole lot of uh, blues like, like we've seen. So it's kind of uh, not really, uh, not a whole lot happening in that respect, yeah. but uh, there's some good musicians and there's a good tradition here. Um, so there's, you know, it's it's a quality scene. There's some good music you can find for sure. Yeah, well, there's something to be said though. When you're when you're an artist, sometimes it's hard to, you know, to to play in your own community or to, you know, mm-hmm. you know. Sometimes it's best to go away and, you know, like you got Europe and that, and you know now you're right. now you're talking about doing, you know, some it's, things in the states. Right. I always like the West Coast. Yeah, I love California. I go out to California. Uh, I try to get out there as much as I can, about once a year at least. But it's, it really doesn't matter. Like where I'm at now, it kind of doesn't matter where I live. I've been fortunate enough to like make some connections throughout the States and, and Europe to where I can pretty much live anywhere and, and um, not really depend on the local scene quite so much. Um, it's not a whole lot different than when I was living in Austin the last few years. I really didn't uh, play a whole lot around around there and just traveled. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. So, um, well, the new album's really good, man. You know, it's oh. it's, it's really good. And uh, you know, I'm I, I always I always pay attention. The guitar is always my thing. I don't know why. You know, I, ever since I was young, I've always gravitated towards just the guitar sometimes i i don't even hear everything else that's going on around yeah. you know what i mean that's like yeah, an totally. obsession for me but your right. but your recording was different not that i didn't pay attention to the guitar because the guitar is really good but uh it it just it, it took me back like i said before it took me back and it made me think of you know my early days and some of the people i was around and what i was listening to and in that and um and that's so unusual now, you know, yeah. because everything is, you know, you know, cranked up. Everything's, you know, centered around, you know, mm-hmm. something a little bit more edgy, if you will. Right. You right. I, mean? I, I think we accomplished some of that. I, I think in this record, it reflects a little bit more of the stuff that I've been like, I've been learning different kinds of things. Like my playing has changed over the years. Like, uh, um, like Junior Timbro, I kind of got into some of those simple, like droney kind of grooves. Yeah. Where um, I'm doing a lot more picking with my thumb and fingers, not so much using a pick as much. Um, and yeah. and that's really changed my playing. And I feel like I have a little bit more control over the guitar that way. It's changed my sound a little bit. But like, say for instance, on that song, um, that Bobby Bland song I recorded, I was trying to go for you know, that Texas sound there, so I used to pick, kind of picked it at the back of the neck, you know, or uh, close to the close to the bridge, where you get that T-Bone Walker, kind of Anson Fondover kind of thing. But then on stuff like Make It Right or I Feel Good, that's more of like uh, thumb and fingers, um, and kind of picking where it's not quite as precise, but it's a little, like, more groovy. Yeah. Yeah, it was re- really good. Do you uh, do you practice a lot now yourself? Do you uh, play a lot now? I, well, I actually have um, since I haven't really. I don't have an excuse not to because <laughs> I, I'm not not working uh, another job, and uh, so I try to make sure that uh, like I had a gig. I had my first gig in seven months. Uh, just Monday, as a matter of fact, it was up in Michigan. We went up to. Uh, to Calumet, Michigan, uh, the Upper Peninsula, about as high as you can go. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, we did a gig, and and I was making sure that I was 
going to be sharp for that. And um, so I try to play every day, and I'll try to make myself – not make myself, but I try to make sure I can – can do what I need to do, uh, whether it's learning something new or just focusing on on areas of my playing that I think are a little bit weak, like maybe my timing, or maybe uh, maybe if I'm playing too fast, or maybe I'm repeating something too many times. Uh, l- learning how to be in control of the instrument and not guess so much. Um, be, you know, so it's a little different. I'm not quite as just like wild and 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 free as I was, I'm, I'm sort of like taming it a little bit to where, I don't know, it changed, it's changed, but it's more meaningful, maybe playing a little bit slower, uh, but my notes mean a little bit more, so focusing on tone, making sure that uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm playing what I'm thinking and uh, executing it uh, the way I want to. Yeah, that seems to be one of those things for you know, for a lot of players that, that comes in time, the older you get, the more you do it, the more you realize you become more discerning, you know, when you become more conscious of, mm-hmm. of what you're doing, as opposed to just letting everything rip, you know, you, right. know, you know, some, some players are fortunate enough. They come out of the gate like that, you know, people like Robin Ford and stuff like that, you know, they come out of the gate as really tame, really conscious players, which mm-hmm. I don't understand. <laughs> you know but but for the rest of us it seems like it just takes time that's really cool and it's cool that you uh that you notice that because once i think once you start to notice it you start to be more uh mind you start to be more mindful of it and you become a more rounded player yeah and 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 I'm finding that maybe there's certain approaches to certain songs, you know, that yeah. you don't have to play the same on every song. Like, for instance, for funky stuff, I kind of like using a thinner pick. For, for uh, like, shuffle blues, like um, where I'm using chords, more chords and stuff, I'm using a thicker pick. And then on, on, on a lot of E shuffles with open strings and stuff, I'm using my fingers, my thumb and my fingers to do that kind of, Brewer Phillips kind of uh, Eddie Taylor type of thing where you can make it sound like two guitars on its knee shuffle. So, I mean, I'm refining things, even though what I play is really simple, I'm still refining it, trying to, to make it sound, you know, exactly how I want it to. Like, really, it was just making it sound like those guys that I idolize. <laughs> I just want to sound like that. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it's a it's a really cool process, you know, and, and it's really cool that you know here you are, you know, um, you, you've you've taken the torch, if you will, you know, of of some really historic stuff, you know, a really historic style of music, and and you've uh, decided to, you know, make it, you know, your thing to preserve that, because a lot of guys, you like me, I love the blues. But, you know, that niche that you're in would be really difficult for me. It's not my thing. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But I, I I, wholeheartedly respect it for sure, you know. That's why I'm glad to see, you know, like players like you and this new guy, you know, Jose Ramirez that, you know, just come on the scene not that long ago. It's, a, it's, a, it's the same thing. You know, people just really dialing back, paying tribute to, to the history of this playing really simple stuff that is just really more focused on the, uh, you know, the, the song and the respect uh-huh. of the song and the respect of the, the, the players before it. And that it's, that's really, really cool because I know people worry about, you know, the position or the condition of blue. Sometimes, you know, you see it and you hear it and that, but you know, it, but, there really are, you know, uh, people there to, to carry that torch a little bit farther, you know? Yeah. And to make it exciting and to combine it with, with something new, um, to where to, for me, I just got to make sure I have those fundamentals from those old guys that are always in my playing, no matter what it is I play. Okay. And then I'm happy with it. If it's, a shuffle, if it's blues, if it's straight blues, or if it's some that I'm writing that might not be considered 
straight blues. I want to be able to to hear that in my playing. I want other people to as well. So that's kind of the way I can keep the old in with the new and, 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 and you know, move it forward a little bit. Yeah. Well, you do a great job, Sean. Well, thanks. You really do. I really enjoy the the new release. I've actually, you know, I've, I've got you, I've been connected, well, I should say, I, I've got you uh, dialed in on my, my Spotify playlist, and I've been going back and listening to a lot of your stuff in that, and I know I've seen you, you know, a few times over the years here and there, you know, uh, we've probably crossed paths a couple of times, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm really excited for you and your new release, and hopefully this whole COVID thing will go away, and you know, you, you can get back yeah. out there, man. No kidding, and I appreciate you taking the time, and it's always fun to discuss music, and, uh, and, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think, uh, hopefully by this time next year, you know, we'll be remembering, gosh, man, remember what it was like last year? (laughs) (laughs) I hope that that's what we're thinking and, and saying, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, I want to get back out and get back on the road and meeting folks and playing to everybody that I can. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's going to, it's going to come around soon until then, you know what? You can just, you know, hone your chops, write new songs, hone your chops, just, you know, stay diligent and stay prepared. And, and when you, and when you come to Chicago, you know, make sure you connect with me. Absolutely. I can come out and uh, check you out. I may, I may even come, come over to Kankakee. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. <laughs> it's like a war zone right now after the, we just had a really severe storm come through. I heard, man. Yeah. I was worried. Yeah. Half, like, half of our town still doesn't have power and it's been three days now. My gosh. I heard there's a riot and then there's a tornado or something. Oh, I'm like, yeah. man, it's a war going on in the world yeah it's it's crazy yeah chicago's been chicago's been really crazy as a matter of fact they announced today that they're telling people to stay off the expressways around chicago on saturday because they're expecting riots in in, yeah in the whole blocking of the interstates and stuff like that so hopefully this will all get worked out somehow 2020 man great and we're gonna remember 2020 for a long time yeah i guess so you know it's pretty crazy well sean i appreciate your time buddy i really do and i'm sorry about the mix-up in the very beginning but hey no problem man no problem i'm Mm -hmm. just glad we got it worked out glad i got to talk to you and uh, sure appreciate your time you bet man you have a good night thanks you too all right everybody that was sean pittman uh, I want to thank Sean for coming on the show. I don't think anybody caught it. Let me know if you caught the accent. <laughs> he sounds like he's from Texas or Oklahoma, doesn't he? Yeah. You know, everything seems so laid back to me in that accent. It's like, eh, whatever happens, happens. Eh, whatever's going on, goes on. You know, I think it's really cool. Sean's a great player. Go to SeanPittman.com. Uh, Make sure you're following him on all the sites like Spotify and uh, Apple Music and all those great places. And uh, also on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and that. Uh, Put him into your rotation on your playlist because uh, he's a great player. He's got some great music in that. Uh, Next week, uh, we got a Chicago cat. Yeah, a cat. No, not that type of cat. A cat that plays guitar, that's right, Tom Holland is coming on the show next week. Now, Tom Holland is, man, he's a a name in Chicago. If you're from around the city and you go to any of the blues joints, you've heard the name Tom Holland. You've seen Tom Holland play because he plays with everybody. But he also was a guitar player for uh, James Cotton for a long time. And so he's got his own band called Tom Holland and the Shuffle Kings. Tom's going to join me next week right here on Guitar Talk, and we're going to talk about all his uh, boutique guitars that he has, his relationship with uh, Delaney and some other people. And so uh, Tom really knows music, and he knows the blues for sure in that. Uh, I met Tom years ago when he was with uh, St. Blues. He was playing St. Blues guitars at that time out of Memphis. 
in that. So uh, he's a great player. So join me next week with Tom Holland. Now, I, if you guys really like what we've been doing here, you know, if you're enjoying the shows, make sure you're following us on Facebook. Follow me on Facebook, Jimmy Warren, Jimmy Warren Radio on Facebook. Also, uh, sign up for our email list on our my website, which is Jimmy Warren Official and GuitarTalkOfficial.com. Um, and also, you can help support us on a regular monthly basis or a one-time basis. You know, anything you could do to help us uh, stay on the air and keep people uh, coming on our show. Boy, we've got a huge lineup of uh, people over the next oh, four or five months. Um, it's just really unbelievable. We've got people like Orianthi and Kurt Fletcher and uh, Matt Schofield and uh, Justin Young from south of Eden. We got Riley and Logan from the Georgia Thunderbolts. We got uh, Chuck and Ryan from Blacktop Mojo. Man, we got a lot of stuff going on. So uh, you make sure that you're... Uh, you know, staying connected to Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. Okay, thanks so much for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. And uh, you guys have a wonderful day, and we will see you next Wednesday with Tom Holland. Thank you. <laughs>